0: Okay, in Job 35, I'm just going to read a a couple of verses in Job and then one in Psalm and then we can uh, get on with it. So in Job 35, verse 14, it says, Although you say you will not see him, yet judgment is before him. Therefore, trust you in him. And so clearly that's teaching us that in all of our circumstances, no matter what they appear to be by sight, that, that the fact is is that judgment is before him. He, it, he doesn't miss a thing. <laughs> he doesn't miss a thing. And so we can trust him. And the reason we can is because in Job 36, verse 7, the a part of the verse says this, he withdraws not his eyes from the righteous. Great for us, huh? And then in Job 36, verse 14, it says, He delivers the poor in his affliction and opens their ears in oppression. So when there's oppression that seems to be involved in our circumstances, and it seems as though that what happens to us in those situations and circumstances could afflict us, and begin to oppress us, immediately he opens our ears because judgment is before him. Everything is before his eyes in the midst of our circumstances. And we can trust him because he never withdraws his eyes from the righteous. And those that are righteous are those that are his in Christ. Because Colossians 3, verse 3, says that we are hidden with Christ in God. We died when we accepted Christ as our Savior. We died with him. That's what we're we're agreeing with, and even that's what baptism is teaching us, that when he went down in death, he took us, the old us, with him. And then when he rose again, our life is now hidden with Christ in God in this resurrection life that speaks of it coming back up, new life. And so we can thank God then that in Psalm 32, and we'll read it because we read it this morning, but I want to read it a little bit again. Psalm 32, verse 7. Well, verse 6 says this. For this will everyone that is godly, pray unto you in a time when you may be found. Isn't that interesting? It's very, very interesting. So the Hebrew says, in a time of finding, that's when we pray. In other words, he never takes his eyes off the righteous. He's judging everything with his sight and never taking his eyes off of us. Think about it. He never takes his eyes off of us, right? Right? And then, obviously, in that sense, that whenever the godly pray, whenever we depend upon him, whenever we communicate to him, that's the time when he can be found. Why? Because he never leaves us, nor forsakes us, in Hebrews 13, verse 5, and he never withdraws his eyes from us, ever. So, that's when we can pray to him in a time when he may be found. What is the time that we can find when we can't find him? There is no time. He never takes his eyes off of us. Surely in the floods of great waters they will not come near unto him. Why? Because he's always going to be there to be found and to deliver us into his presence and this is another reason why because in Psalm 32 verse 7 you are my hiding place when the floods come he is a hiding place he hides himself in Isaiah 45 verse 15 from the pride of men he does but you and I are hidden with Christ look what it says in God And nothing can separate us from that. We can see that again in Romans 8, 35 through 39. There is nothing that can separate us from God. Or in other words, there is nothing that can separate God from being occupied with us. Nothing. Because he's already given us his very best. He's given us his son. And so... He's our hiding place. And when he's our hiding place, he preserves us from the trouble. He may not take us out of it, but he preserves us in the midst of it so that the trouble, the floods, don't come in. They don't affect our thinking. They don't affect our thought life. They don't affect, because we have good thoughts, it doesn't affect our emotions. Our emotions are very, very healthy. We know how to when we know how to think, we feel right. And when we feel right, it's a result of us thinking the truth about who God is with us and who we are in Christ and who Christ is in us. And then he comforts, He surrounds us about with songs of deliverance. They become our means of just worshiping and praising him. And how many has he come through in so many different ways for? And how many of us? Well, he's given us a place to hide. He's given us the greatest place to hide. He's hid us in the love of his son. That's where he's hidden us. And then he says in verse 8, I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you will go. I'll teach you in the way that you should go. I will instruct you. Whatever the circumstances, whatever the situation is, he is always there with his eyes on us, ready to deliver us. And he, he can be found anytime he want, because he'll never leave us nor forsake us. He, that's what he He will just be always there to be found. And that's why he says that I will instruct you. Who's the only one that can instruct us? Well, it's the Holy Spirit, God, taking the things of Christ to show us the way. I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. Remember what we said this morning that Jesus Christ said in John fourteen six, I am the way. Listen, he is the way right through our circumstances and our situations. He's the way. And... Always ready to be found is the truth about those circumstances and situations. And then we experience him who is our life right in the midst of the circumstances and the situations. And so he teaches us, and that's why he says in Psalm 32, verse 8, I will guide you with my eye. Because, remember, in Job 36, verse 7, he never removes his eyes from the righteous. Boy, never does. So he's going to guide us. He's going to continually guide us with his eye. Of course, in verse 9, the counsel is, don't be like the horse. No, nope, don't be like the horse. Don't be like Mr. Ed or Trigger. No, uh, was Trigger the dog or Silver? or Silver? The Trigger was the horse? I think Silver. Silver or Trigger with the lawn ranger. The yeah, not that, we, but he said, be not as the horse <laughs> or as the mule. We all know what a mule is, right? What's a mule do when it doesn't want, when it can't get it gets its way? When the master tries to make it go a certain way, what does the mule usually do? Kicks, doesn't it? It kicks. <laughs> so it's a. It could be a picture when he doesn't guide us, when he's not our guide in the midst of our circumstances and situations, and when we begin because we're still his he still doesn't remove his eyes from the righteous he may not be able to fellowship with us because we're not on the place to receive it he never leaves us nor forsakes us but he still has his eyes on us because he knows who we are in his son and in the love of his son but then he doesn't want us to act like little horses running wild or mules that kick which it says which have no understanding and that's what happens when he's not our guide we lean on our own understanding in Proverbs 3 verse 5 through a lack of trusting him and understanding him and and drawing near to him and so what happens then is we have no understanding in our circumstances and in our situations so Then it says this, when you have no understanding, us the righteous, and when we begin to act like wild horses (laughs) and like mules that kick. Remember what he said to Saul when he was on the road to Damascus? He, what was Saul doing? He was kicking against the ox goats, it says. He was kicking against God. And, of course, that would be like none of, us, none of us would ever want our own way. And, of course, when we do have desire for things from God, of course, we're very patient, and we don't try and twist God's arm and make them come when we want them to come. But we wait very patiently. That's right. We do. We wait very patiently. And when we don't, when the horse is being bad, And the mule is kicking then the master has to put a bit and a bridle in their mouths and in this sense the bit and the bridle can be God having to use our circumstances to guide us (laughs) okay we can either have Christ, his mind through the power of the Holy Spirit as our guide as our means of understanding in the midst of our circumstances or situations or our circumstances and our situations will be our guide and oh boy I would much rather not have the bit and the bridle end I would much rather not have to have God having to use what seemed to be negative and bad and maybe nasty circumstances to be the thing that guides me. I would much, much rather, much rather, I would much rather have his grace and his truth as the uh, literally who Christ is in John 1, 14, be the thing that teaches me And not, in Jeremiah 2, verse 19, my own backsliding. Because that can be a bit and a bridle that God can use. But he would much rather. And if we have any sense and don't act like the mule, we would want it to. We absolutely would want it to. Because the reality is this, for us, is that God controls the events in our life. And he's the one that has already, through Christ, determined our destiny. Did you know he planned that all out for us? And did I know that? Long before we were born. It was all planned out. The things that seemed to take us by surprise, could they or did they ever take him by surprise? They never could. He controls it all. That's why God, who is love, doesn't change. Oh God, I want you to change my circumstances. Please. I want you to change my circumstances. And God says, I want to change your attitude in the midst of your circumstances. And I can give you the mind of Christ. And he can guide you in your circumstances and your situations, or I'm going to go get the bit and the bridle. (laughs) One way or another, we're his. We're his, and I would much rather not have that, although I don't know what it's like to feel that, the bed and the bridle, not too much. That's why he, that's why he doesn't change. Malachi 3.6, I am the Lord your God, and I change not. We can rely on him, he does not change. He doesn't fail. First Corinthians 13, verse 8, love, who God is in 1 John 4, 8 and 16, never fails. Never fails. But in the midst of our circumstances and situations, no matter what they are, by sight, and remember in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 7, we walk by faith, not by sight, not by feelings, not by how we perceive things on our own apart from Him. But our circumstances then can be the greatest opportunity for us. The opportunity is the fact that God wants to manifest his love to us, his very person to us with a greater intensity. He wants to show us his mind, the mind of eternity, the mind that's always been, wants to show it to us. That's what he wants to do. Because also in our circumstances, and we can, and, and we, we can understand that you and I, the moment we were born in this dispensation of grace, this church age, we were born, yes, with our sins already paid for because of Christ and receiving him as our Savior. But we were born into conflict. We were born into battle, but whose is the battle? In our circumstances, in our situations, Whose is the battle? The battle is the Lord's, but the key, and we're born in conflict. That's right. We're born into this conflict. We're born into spiritual war, uh, warfare. That's what we're born into. You read it in Ephesians the sixth chapter. You read verses ten all the way to eighteen in Ephesians six, and you will see that that's we were born because of our position in the heavenlies. We were, that's the that's what raised the intensity of the conflict. The height of the blessing would be what the atmosphere would want to come after the most. But in the midst of this spiritual warfare, we can have two elements. And these are two elements that we have and we can always operate in, in every circumstance and situation. And these two elements are what is our love for God, and what they do is equal obedience. And what they are is we reverence Him. We can reverence Him at all times. Just like that song, that last song that we heard. All those ones that are in heaven, they're reverencing Him. They're in great awe. Reverence means the right kind of godly awe. It's just an unbelievable awe at His person and what He's accomplished. The other is trust. And when you have reverence and trust, occupation with God and love for Him, we can live in obedience. That's the test for us. The always the test is. The test is always the same. Satan will always said, he'll, he'll quote part of the word and say, but no. No. Has not God said, No, you won't. No, he won't. No, he won't that's what he says. that's what he said to Eve look what he said in Genesis 3 verse 4 when he was in the temptation and the serpent answered because she she said rightly although she added to it because God never said that they couldn't touch the tree they were just told not to eat it eat from it she did get that part right because she said when you do you'll die and when we get occupied with anything other than Christ, death will be our experience, even though we have the very life of Christ in us. We'll live in our experience, not never in opposition. We can never be separated from, from God in opposition. But in our experience, that's what Satan wants to create as much as he can in our experience of fear by separating us from love. Because obviously in First John four eighteen there is no fear in love because perfect love has already cast it out. In other words, dealt with everything that could bring in fear in our life. So she said, yeah, if you touch it, you'll die. If you eat of it and you touch it, you'll die. And the serpent said unto the woman, you will not surely die. It's okay to do this, you know. After all, you're just human. Did you ever hear that one? Yeah, like God didn't know we were human, right? And like he didn't have his son put on perfect humanity to to be our example. Well, he has it for us. He has every single bit of it for us in the midst of our circumstances, in the midst of our situations, because this is what Paul said. Get rid of that marker. This is what he said. In Philippians 4, verse 11, he said, Not that I speak, in respect of want. In other words, not that I'm going to even talk talk about what I lacked. I'm not even going to go into that, he said. Because in my lack, I have learned in whatsoever state I am. Whatsoever state. In other words, whatever his condition is. No matter what the condition of his circumstance and his situation. He said, I've learned to be content. Because what good? does it do for any of us? Not to be. (laughs) And where does discontentment come from? It comes from, truthfully, a lack of trust and a lack of obedience. (laughs) Trust and obedience equals love, my love for God, and leaves me in a place to constantly receive from him. So he said, I have learned how to do this, but he had to learn. What did Paul have to learn? Same thing you and I have, are going to learn—that a broken will, and that's what God has to do with us, right? You know, and, and I don't want him to have to break my will, like the horse or the mule with the bit and the bridle, the bit in the mouth and the bridle. Man. <laughs> Circumstances, oh, situations. And certainly, don't want that. We don't want it that way. But the the reality is is that a broken will, what does it become? It becomes such a rich and rare gift from God. It does. Well, (laughs) it is a high attainment in the school of Christ. And it's not known in a moment. (laughs) not known in the New York minute or any other city minute. It's not known in a minute. Paul said he had to learn it. And this is right towards the end of his life. He is about 63 years of age after getting saved when he's approximately 35. And all those years later, he's still learning in whatsoever condition the circumstances or the situations that he's in to be content, to be content. Because this is the reality with God. God is not going to change and doesn't necessarily want the circumstance to change like we would never want, (laughs) like we would want sometimes, the circumstance to change. And it's not even necessary for the state of my mind, the condition of my mind, in the midst of the circumstance, to change. But what the reality is is that power—the power of God—will come in and put away those things that would press us. When I'm weak, Paul said, "What did he say? I am what? Strong." Second Corinthians twelve nine, and in Joel three, verse ten. Really. What does God want to do? This is what he wants to do through our circumstances and situations here in Philippians 4.11 is to bring us down to nothing in our strength, our own strength, to know real strength where it's located and it's located in Christ and Christ is in us. But the reality is is that most people, not all people, Most people are slow to learn this. They're slow to learn. The reality here is is that Paul, everything that he went through, everything, and he went through some things. Like not too many, I don't know of anyone that's gone through with this other than Christ. And of course, there's a vast difference. But in terms of fallen humanity with Christ in it, that man, I don't know if anyone's close to him. In terms of circumstances. But everything that he went through, he had something that lifted him above it all. His circumstances and his situations. He knew a superior power. And that superior power was Christ. And that's what he could rest in and be content. Listen, again, it's either Christ in our circumstances that will guide us. Christ in us, in our circumstances will guide us, or our circumstances will guide us. Ooh, we don't want that now, do we? No. Well, he wants us. It's our opportunity to live in a power that is absolutely superior to every evil around us, you know. That's right. No matter what it looks like. We have a superior power. And when we're not living in that superior power that's ours in Christ through the Holy Spirit guiding us, what will happen? We will be depressed. That's right. We'll we'll, we'll absolutely be depressed. We will be depressed by the evil at times that's within, even though it's not who we are. Remember that. And the evil all around us. When we're not occupied with him and, that's a, and, and him being the superior power that will lift us above it all that's what will bring in the, the depression because why? because we're going to be living in the superior power and presence of Christ who has already overcome it all that's what he said he's overcome it all and he's going to reveal it too hey listen Remember what the song said? Think about it. Every single person, don't care who they are, saved or unsaved, are going to see his face. They're going to answer to it. Is he truthfully in control? Why do things happen the way that they do? Because God has a has has a plan. His plan is perfect, and he's revealing incredible things about himself. And all that evil and all those things that we see, they have already been judged seriously. The sentence hasn't been carried out, but the sentence is just as sure and true as the judgment that's already won it and defeated it. It's just as true. And right now, we're in a time we're, there, we're in the midst of it can be the greatest opportunity for us some of the greatest opportunities for souls being one will be tribulation period probably more souls than all in human history will be one then. tribulation period I'm glad I don't have to be in it because we're not no matter what some think but we won't be that's for sure but we have this power And Paul might have been in the midst of trouble, and you and I might be in the midst of trouble. But when we have Christ in us, we have the peace of soul, and nothing can touch that. Nothing can touch it. So Paul was learning, just like we're going to learn, that in many circumstances, what was he learning? He was learning the sufficiency of Christ. In 2 Corinthians 3, verse 5, Our sufficiency is not of ourselves. That's what our circumstances and our situations will teach us. They'll teach us, number one, we're not sufficient. But number two, here's your sufficiency. Here it is. It's Christ in you. And he's more than sufficient. So then what can we do? We can rejoice. We can rejoice. And we, through that superior power of Christ's presence in the midst with us, he can, will keep out the evil from affecting us. And he will keep it out. He'll keep it out of our circumstances. And then what can we do? We can rejoice. In Philippians 4.4, 4, we can rejoice. Again, in the Lord always. Really? I mean, is that possible? To rejoice in the Lord always? Does it, does it seem that way or feel that way sometimes? Would God write it if it wasn't true? Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. We can rejoice. And then finally, we can see in first Timothy six verse six it says this But godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment. Is unbelievable, gain. It's a, it's an awesome thing, because that godly contentment, when it comes in, when it, when the floods would come, the evil floods or whatever would come around us, God has a flood of sufficiency. <laughs> he does, immediately for us. He has this flood of sufficiency, and in that sense, He gives us for our own selves, an unbelievable sufficiency that we wouldn't have without him. He brings in it, this supernatural superior power and sufficiency. And when he does that, when he does that, what are we like? We live a life of freedom and independence of circumstances and situations, no matter what they are. No matter what they are, we can live an absolute independence of them because we depend on the one who's superior to all those circumstances and situations and we can have awesome good emotions and good feelings by thinking with him by drawing near to him and thinking with him and letting his sufficiency take over the self-life take its place because what happens when we're not when His sufficiency doesn't come in, what do we live in? We live in discontentment. We just, we live that way. We're discontent. We don't experience God. We don't experience the life of Christ that we have. Our life becomes mundane again. Uh, same old, same old. And the reason is, is because I just don't sense God being involved in my life. Well, didn't we read he never takes his eyes off the righteous? Didn't we say he'll never leave us nor forsake us? Well, who's right? Us or God? Who has to make the adjustment? Does God have to adjust to me? And that's what manipulation is, really. In our ser- that's what the mule does. He kicks and kicks and kicks and tries to manipulate the master. <laughs> and no one's ever done that here. <laughs> uh, much I think <laughs> but we have God when God is not our source when he's not our sufficiency we will live in our circumstances and situations in discontentment and that will lead to being depressed that will, that's what it will lead to it will be and it's, it's a lifeless discontentment and the opposite is fulfillment, being fulfilled, filled, full fill, fill, fold, and fulfilled of his sufficiency in us. That's why David said, when he wrote Psalm 23 verse 5, he said, my cup overflows. How does God form capacities? Through those circumstances and situations that don't look so good by sight? but they expand the capacity. It's just, again, just like Proverbs 13, verse 12. Hope deferred, put off, stretched. We mentioned this months ago in in one of the times on Friday night. Hope deferred, and the word deferred means to stretch like an elastic. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. I am so tired of these circumstances and these situations and all this stuff. And what is God doing with it? Does he ever take his eyes off of us? He never takes his eyes off of us. He never leaves us nor forsakes us. But he is stretching us. And sometimes we think, listen, I, I can't take any more." I don't know about you, but I, I haven't really felt that way too much. <laughs> I just can't take it anymore. Well, God is stretching our capacity. Because Proverbs 13, verse 12 says, Hope deferred, put off stretched makes the heart sick but when the desire comes not if but when the desire comes it's a tree of life and what God is doing is he loves to always give us way more than we desire because he wants us to not only enjoy him but he wants others to enjoy him through us and that's a awesome thing we become a tree of life and we talked about that too how long it takes God to make an oak or a squash <laughs> not really it takes God about six months or so or less to make a squash and it can, it can be a nice meal but it takes him a hundred years to make an oak But what can you do with an oak, a huge oak tree? And there's so many uses you can get out of it. That's what God's doing with us in the midst of our circumstances and in the midst of our situations. He wants us to live in the fulfillment of who Christ is in us and who we are in him. He wants us to live with a life that nothing could conquer. Did anything conquer Jesus Christ? By the way, death did not conquer him. That would make that. He gave himself over to it. And you can see that in John 10, 17, and 18. He gave himself over to it. When he was on the cross, death did not take him at all. And when he said it was finished, you know, he had every one of us in, his, in, his, in that statement. And he literally said, It's finished, and he gave himself over to death. Right? So that he could do away with the old discontentment, fears, depression, all of these things, and give us a life of resurrection that is as far as the heavens are above the earth. He wants us to experience all of who he is now. He wants us to be able to reflect the very glory of God in the midst of the darkest circumstances. And situations what is it what does it do what is God doing with us he's causing us to increase our dependence our faith in him because faith in God allows God to show me that I'm just like through the life of Christ that's how he sees me he sees us perfect in Christ absolutely perfect so I don't know about you but I would just as soon have him, who is our life, be our guide and be very content. But it's, a, it's something that we have to learn. And many times we have to learn to come to the end of our self-sufficiency. We have to come to the end of it. And when we do, he's going to be right there. We read it, remember, in Job, all those scriptures. He will come right in and give strength to the afflicted, and he will deliver us with a superior power that is far more sufficient than we'll ever need. And he's faithful. And faithful is he, in First Thessalonians 5, verse 24, who has called you, who will also do it. Amen? So, Lord, we thank you that you are our sufficiency. Christ is our sufficiency in the midst of all of our circumstances and situations. There isn't anything that can take you by surprise. There isn't anything that you've already dealt with in Christ. Your whole plan about us is has been fulfilled and completed in Christ. And we just thank you for the truth of that. We thank you that we walk by faith and not by our feelings. We are to walk by absolutely depending upon you and our circumstances and our situations and not by how we perceive or feel those circumstances and situations because you are so true. You're true and faithful. You're true and faithful to us. And thank you, Father, for the truth that we can receive and walk in in Jesus' name.